0: One. This evening, for your quintessential listening poetry pleasure, I am very pleased to welcome internationally acclaimed and award-winning poet, Indran Amarathanayagath, to the program. Indran is a master poet, and his newest book, Argy selected Selected Poems of Emmanuel Ulatia, will be published by early 2023. Indran, welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Ingram. Michael, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love this show. I love the opportunity it gives to read, to think
0: out loud about the art of poetry,
1: and, and to engage in conversation with you. is a special thing. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Oh, hey, this is always a treat for me because you, you're constantly surprising me, and I look, love, I never, love look. Let's begin this journey. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tell me
1: about your new book. I want to hear everything. Yes. Oh, i it's I'm so excited. Uh, uh, it's such a joy to have this book. It, you know, it, it began more than 20 years ago in 1999 when I first got to Mexico City. My friend Jaime Manrique gave me a name of someone to look up, Manuel Ulasia, and he the names of a few other poets and writers. And Manuel, the embassy, the American embassy where I was working in Mexico City, and he took me out to a wonderful lunch, a green mole sauce in the Zona Rosa near the embassy. And from there the friendship began, you know, and it kicked off and we and I started writing poetry in Spanish and Manuel corrected my poems and then I started translating his poems into English. Now Manuel had studied a PhD in Spanish literature at Yale. He his English he was fluent in English. But but not uh, not in poetic English as such. And so, you know, he, the conversation helped him, and 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 it helped me. I learned my Spanish, and I learned his poetry, translating it. And uh, what a what what a poet! What a poet! He became my closest friend of those years in Mexico City. And then when I published my first book in Spanish, El Infierno de los Pájaros, he wrote a blurb for the for the back of the book and uh and then we had finished these translations and and you know the he told me you know maybe we have one more hour to go over them and the last night I was in Mexico City he invited us over to his home for dinner and there were literally a dozen people around the table it was a fantastic farewell meal sad but 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 full of joy as well for the friendships that had begun in Mexico and um and the joy of looking forward to the book. I mean, these poems were going to come out that year in 2001. But, you know, two months later, that was in June and in August, I I got home. I was at home in Washington, in Rockville, and I got this terrible, terrible news that Manuel had passed. He had been swimming off the coast of Zihuatanejo in Mexico, and a riptide pulled him away. And it was on Sunday afternoon around five p m which has a sort of symbolic weight that time. I can comment on that later um and And it was just devastating news, devastating and you know and one of the consequences was that that book was never published uh, it was not published then. The publisher abandoned the project. And then years went by, and I published some of the poems in an anthology in India, and, and, and I was very pleased for that. But, but own poetry just sort of went, you know, it was in the drawer. I, I would send it out occasionally to try and get it published here and there. Then 20 years later, I get to know Dialogo's books in New Orleans, Bill Lavender. And Bill and Dialogo's published, uh, my book, ventana Azul, translated as Blue Window. By Jennifer Rathbun into English, and mm-hmm. and then I offered him this book, and he accepted it. He has produced mm-hmm. the most beautiful book, and Manuel's mm-hmm. sister Isabel Olacia, a photographer, provided the cover art, which is just outstanding. And it's just it's of origami, an image of origami that she had made many years ago, just around after Manuel's passing. So. It was a bittersweet, uh, that memory. And then she had the photograph of it, and that, that is the cover. And on the back is a photograph of Manuel, a young Manuel. Um, we used to know him as Manolo, Manuel, short, uh, Manolo, familiar. And uh, anyway, so the book has had a long history. It was 20, 22 years in the waiting room before it came in for the appointment with, um, with immortality. <laughs> I hope it is immortality it is. because is. these are immortal poets. <laughs> these are immortal poets. you'll I hope you'll get a sense of the the joy and the beauty of them and the delicacy of them and the fragility and the sort of uh, and the melancholy of them as well um as you as you hear some tonight
0: well, you know it sounds like just listening to you that he was truly your brother in poetry, so what I'd like to yeah. know what were some of the predominant things that he were? What you write about in
1: his work? Well, Manuel was gay. As a gay poet at a time when, in Mexico uh, and elsewhere, the, you were sort of quiet about your your orientation. You know, you, you didn't make a, a much much of a a big deal of it. I mean, he was living freely and and um, practicing his uh, homosexuality. But you know, it was something that he his coming out took took a while. You know, he he went out with women early on in his life as a young man he and eventually he, he 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 declared in his 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 gay um self and uh and then wrote poems that are i mean if you have read uh, Kavashi's poems, for example,
0: or uh,
1: these are this is a a mexicankarashi you know writing it's really so so frank and so beautiful. That um, they are love poems. Um, they are eternal in that sense. I mean, they, are, they they will they speak to any lover anywhere, anytime. He wrote them in Spanish. Now they're available in English here in this translation. And um, you know, it's it's a sad thing when I think of Manuel. What what was lost when he that riptide took him away? But then. I think of what he left behind and what we what we have in our hands. This, these these poems and and they they, they cross ages and cultures and boundaries. Um, and so I, I I'm just grateful to have had the chance to to have known him and to have worked on these poems and brought them into English. This was my first translation. I've become a, a, a translator of many other uh, poets since, but this is. This book uh, is a very special book for that reason. The first book is always a very special book. And this was the first you know, encounter, yeah, yeah, it, with the tonight other. Life is, who, is a
0: there. celebration of his life and his gift, his creative gift. His creative gift. That's right. Now, That's right. What I'd like to know, the title, origami, tell me about the title. Where does that come from? Well, Where if does. you think
1: of origami, you know, this miniature worlds right These miniature universes there's small trees small bushes small streams small rocks all delicately made of paper in with paper so the the fragility of paper and yet um, the representation of the world as it is but in this in this light uh, disposable almost disposable form you know and you uh, i think it's 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 something about that beauty that you know beauty doesn't doesn't stay still it moves and it and it and it changes form and so origami captures that beauty in, a, in the instant you know in the instant but you know that that is an instant and it it can move and disappear um there is there is nothing more um true in the world than the reality of that that we are simply moving creatures, our blood moves inside of us, we ourselves move, we move from different stages in life as we grow up from infancy through adolescence through adulthood, and then we move to another stage when we pass this mortal coil and we move into into another world, a supernatural world, a heaven, a hell. I don't know where exactly we go, but we go. Beyond, and we're constantly travellers. We're travellers, constant travellers, and origami, uh, I think, captures the fragility of that. And he has a beautiful poem, a long poem called Origami para un día de Origami for a rainy day. And you can think of the rain falling outside, clattering the windows, and a boy inside working, uh reading, writing his small poems, and making his small world of origami, and um, that's a beautiful poem. It's a very long poem and it's one of the great poems in the Spanish language, and it's in this book and it's also honored that he's had the chance to translate it.
0: All right. How did you structure the contents of the book? These are sections, chapters? Tell me about the content. How's the structure? It's structured by by the different
1: books that Manuel published in his life, Um, and uh, so I take poems from each of those books. Um, so it begins with uh, El Río y la Piedra, um, the River and the Stone, which he published, uh, which are poems from 1981 to 89, and then Origami for a Rainy Day, which was the long poem, and then Arabian Nights and Scottish Mornings, which was unpublished when he died, but later was included in a in a posthumous book published in Spanish by Pondo de Cultura Económica. And then it goes on from there to El Plato Azul, another long poem, another magnificent poem of Emanuel's, which uh, was published just uh, in 1999, 2000. And then I added the first poems. He he wanted these to be first in the book, but I I put them last mm. because um, they're they're beautiful poems, they're slighter poems, there, and I think um, they they work well. Um, for someone who who has read the major poems and would like to, to read everything, Emmanuel, then so he can go or she can go to the last section of the book and read from the first poems. Um, there's tiny little lyric images poems at the end. I mean, um, you know, just to give you an idea of how uh, all, and, you know, you can imagine these three-line poems, like, for uh, example, uh, I'll just read you one of those first poems just to give an idea. Um yes. on the beach. On the beach words of salt and spray catch themselves. The seas, waves, name the earth. And here's another one, the millennial tortoise. In the garden, the millennial tortoise eats the word grass. <laughs> so that's that's where the <laughs> end book ends, but those are the first poems. Yeah. <laughs> anyway.
0: uh, well, please share with me the titles of at least all the poems the titles uh, will do I mean you know for example yes. uh, just the titles
1: I'll give you I'll yes. give you a sense uh, you know from the first part yes. of the book El Rio y la Piedra uh, I'll give you the Spanish first Regreso a la Ciudad Return to the City Encuentros Encounter Tenochtitlan Blues Tenochtitlan Blues En un baño de vapor in the steam bath Unidad Unit Ma Egeo and C, Tamiya, Seed, Rio, River, Visita, Turks Head Pub, Visit to Turks Head Pub, and so on and so forth. Then it goes on. There are many poems in the book. It's a big, thick book, about 250 pages, and they also have, it, yeah, it also includes two poems I wrote, tribute poems I wrote to Manuel, different stages, um, both one to begin the book and one at the end, which I wrote just before it went to press. And and also it has an an introduction by Alfred Korn who knew Manuel and and writes his memories of Manuel at, at the beginning of the book. So it's and and one more thing I want to mention Suzanne Jill Levine who's really a legendary translator. She translated Manuel Puig, for example. She contributed her translation of Manuel's poem Rio River to the book, and so I'm very grateful to Suzanne uh, Jill Levine okay. for that. And uh, so it's 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 a testimony. It's a testimonial. It's, it's, it's a collection of memories, this book. It includes tribute poems, and it's manual, manual gloriously manual throughout. So I'm very grateful to well, Dialogos Books for making well, this possible.
0: Yeah. Wow. What I'd like to know in terms of the titles, tell me about that process of generating those titles. Was it difficult based on what you know of him? Tell me about the titles. Well, no, I mean, these were titles
1: that Manuel gave to the poem, so I I just made them into English. Yeah, yeah. There was no need to to title poems that weren't titled now. The only thing that I did differently from the original composition was move the first poems to the end, rather than keep them at the beginning of the
0: book. Yeah. I see. Well, before we move into your sharing from the book, Andrew, tell me, what did you learn about yourself writing
1: this book who are you as a
0: consequence of writing this book well i'm a translator you know I, i've become a translator
1: thanks to this book and and then to the books and the poets i've translated since then um i myself am a translated man a, a poet who was born in another country called ceylon that no longer exists now it's known as sri lanka where i spoke Tamil yes. and singhalese as well as english and I've forgotten Tamil and I forgot the Sinhalese. So I'm a Tamil from an island who, does, who no longer speaks Tamil. But I speak English, which of course was also and is one of the languages of the island. And I now speak Spanish and French and Portuguese and Haitian Creole, thanks to the poets of these countries where I've learned these languages, thanks to the diplomatic career I've, I've held over the last 29 years and um, I'm about to retire from that career but I'm going to go failing strong in uh, as a poet a translator a publisher you know with Sarah Cahill Maronite we publish Beltway editions books of poetry and uh, excited about that venture so there's lots to do um, and always little time <laughs> but I'll right. be we'll make the time <laughs> That's
0: true. You know, if you had to advise your readers prior to reading this particular book, what would you tell them? It's not in the bookstore. I would say, I, I would say there is
1: a transparency to these lines, a, a luminosity to these lines that is worth all its light, you know, in gold and in, and in time. Because So spend time with these poems. Spend time with this light it's almost like when you look at a certain painter for example when you see um, uh, uh, edward hopper's uh, a woman in the sun for example the light coming in through the window at the woman as she stands staring at the window out that light he captures that light in words and in phrases and these are uh, it's a kind of visual song that he presents for us mm-hmm. uh, and yes. i love song i'm a poet of song of lyric mm-hmm. And I love poets who write lyrics. And, and Manuel is a lyricist. He's also a painter with words. And that, to me, is almost an, uh, that's epiphany, right? You have the visual song, you have the oral song, and um, and you have light being played with by a master uh, craftsman of light. You know this this poet. And I I I I, I have a very perhaps. I'm a very conservative translator. So I wanted to capture that music in English without muddying it up or messing it up or putting myself yes. into it. I, I wanted to be really a, a, ver- a vessel for his voice but find the appropriate English words. Now, this was when I was translating his poems. This was before internet. and I mean, there was internet, but not in the same way as we have today. And it was before I was using dictionaries. I was using hard copy dictionaries, the Real Academy and the Espanol, the, the Rai, using other dictionaries, La rue's various dictionaries. And I was I had the the luck that Manuel was uh, an English speaker so he could we could discuss, you know, phrases together over coffee, over a meal and so on. And so it was a collaborative process as well. So I feel very close to this book because I had this the, yes. the luck of translating it with a living with a
0: living author, uh, Manuel in that case, at the time. Well, without further ado, my friend, please share from your
1: book. I will.
0: And uh, I'll read from um, the first part, El Rio
1: y la Piedra, The River and the Stone, and uh, Encuentros. Entregarte como la piedra al vértigo profundo de la noche. Cayer y volver a estar donde estuvimos. Ser los mismos y ser otros, como si todo otra vez fuera nuevo. El tren que pasa, la ventana azul, mi cuerpo desnudo junto al tuyo, llenos de amor en un cuarto vacío. Encounter. Give yourself like a stone to the deep vertigo of night, All and return to be where we once were. Be the same and yet be others, as if everything were new again. The passing train, the blue window, my body naked against yours, filled with love in an empty room. Tenochtitlan Blues Cai la tarde y termina tu viaje. Mañana cuando te marches te buscaré en el vacío que dejaste por todas partes. Y si el día es claro, Tal vez alcance a ver los volcanes siempre cubiertos de nieve, como el silencio que envuelve a dos cuerpos que se miraron sin tocarse siquiera. En Octitlan Blues, evening falls and you finish your trip. Tomorrow when you go, I will look for you in the emptiness you left everywhere. And if the day is clear, perhaps I may get to see the two volcanoes forever covered with snow like the silence that envelopes two bodies that gazed at each other without even touching. Hampstead Heath. This I will read just the English. <clears throat> Manuel was a, a ceaseless traveler, and then in this case in, in, in London, Hampstead Heath. Perhaps all that's lacking is a change of light on the water's surface a glance that meets another glance to leave behind without knowing it a sure world. You were on the bank of the pond watching the small sailing ships when he invited you to go deep into the wood. And without saying a word, iron after the call of the magnet, you followed him in. How much sun spilled among the green branches, how much pleasure while your legs trembled with fear. Today you remember neither his name nor face. Perhaps the only trace left imprinted by time is that smell of tobacco and eau de cologne, which for 15 years has stayed with you through all the cities and is now in none. And um, I will read now just a few passages from the long poem Origami for a Rainy Day just to give you an idea of how it begins, Origami for a Rainy Day This rain that beats the windows is the same as yesterday's You hear the incessant drops falling like a drumming that imitates the passing of the day in flight The transparent pool in the garden, the tremulous reflection, return you to the place where water no longer wets you to the empty house eaten by time, saved by memory. Engrossed before the window, you see it rain by the scant light of the lamp. The white rain contrasts with the dark air. Michael?
0: Wow. I always enjoy hearing you read Spanish, English, French, creation, creole, whatever. You're just an amazing (laughs) artist, amazing poet, amazing man. What I'd like to know, and this is a relatively general question, can poetry transcend ideologies? What do you think about that, Andrew? Different ideologies.
1: Can poetry transcend ideologies? It's a very important question because... um, you know the word ideology is based in the in the the, the idea, right? And you know mm-hmm. poetry, you know, is written with a lot of emotion and with a lot of feeling. And you know, was it Shelley who said poetry is emotion recollected in tranquility? But but it's the base that emotion that feeling is mixed up with the idea. There is an idea in every poem, and you know, and. There's a message you could say in every poem uh, a poem is not just the rush of an emotion a crying on on onto the page or a or a or seething anger in you know encapsulated in a verse it's a it's an idea about. The world about order, about human society, about animal society, about ecology, ecology, about politics. Politics means polis, the community, the the affairs of the community. So, it it's not, I, you know, I write poetry often in response to what's happening around me in the news, in uh, what I read, what I what I hear about what's happening in the country, my. Recent book is called Ten Thousand Steps Against the Tyrant, that orange-haired tyrant we we had president <laughs> <with laughs> here for a while. Yes, <laughs> uh, and and, and the, the campaign against that ideology, that hatred. So you, mm-hmm. I, I don't dismiss poetry as. I think poetry can serve uh, us, uh, and there are no subjects that are foreign to poetry or that are that are obstacles for poetry but that said Mm -hmm. for me a poem is a kind of verbal music a -hmm. linguistic song and so it pleases the ear as well as and it's also a, a painting so there are two kinds of there are various kinds of pleasure the oral pleasure the visual pleasure and um the intellectual pleasure, the idea as it's when Eliot writes, let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table, you know, that you can see that evening spread out against the sky. And then you have this very arresting, unusual image, a patient etherized upon a table, an unsettling, unpleasant image. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's the modern world. You know, it's, it's the beauty, it's the ugliness and the and the beauty, it's the it's the shock and and as, as well. Uh so you confront reality and you know, so I look I at the same time I'm not a fan of 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 jargon in poetry, you know, repetitions yes. uh, that of words and phrases that that have lost their meaning. If you read D H uh sorry, Orwell's essay Politics in the English Language, you you see how words become cliches and they and they lose all sense of their original meaning or impulse. And so poets mm-hmm. have a job to play in rescuing words and giving them life and meaning again. Even the the hardest words, you know, something like dead as a doornail, well how, you know, take that on as a challenge and make that, mm-hmm. you know, a fresh phrase, you know? Um Well uh, that's nice. that's part Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, continue, continue I'll ask later okay, no, please continue. no, no, I was are just sure? thinking okay. that you <laughs>
1: I'm sorry? Alright,
0: well, okay I guess like I said, you are both So enthused About this art and craft of poetry We both <laughs> have things We'd like to say But you know, Andrew. some people believe That poetry is dying Do you agree statement? Yes I don't Dying know on. if you
1: go to the if you go to the wake of poetry, you're going to meet a lot mm-hmm. of people having eating and 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 fellowship, and then new poems will be written. You know, oh, I mean, poetry, <laughs> poetry, poetry will be written even at the funeral. In fact, at the funeral, it is the only art that really works to be recited out loud. I remember. No, I mean in my own life, my father, when he passed, when he died. I was in Mexico at the time and i and he had just seen him the first holy communion of my son, and then he had gone back home to Rockville with this house where I'm speaking from now and he um he had gone to church and he was waiting for communion, and he had a heart attack, and he couldn't be revived now. I went back from Mexico and on the plane, I started writing about my father which became, a, in prose, an obituary. But then I started writing poems, and one of the poems I read at the funeral a few days later. So, you know, poetry brings people together. It's consoling. At the very least, it's helpful at such moments. So I I, 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 I can't imagine poetry dying. I, I can't imagine life without poetry, because um, even the most bleakest, Landscape I mean you know there are parts of Iceland that have been denuded by centuries of exploitation, but now there are there is a low a, a row of little um, uh, flowers little growing on this desert hill you see I mean the idea mm-hmm. of restitution of rescuing of recreating of second growth forests i mean i'm I'm an optimist you know, not a pessimist, and I think we can yes. rescue. And poetry has a role to play in that rescue act, you know, yes. uh, both as you know, a human <laughs> society and as a planet. Go
0: ahead. Yeah. Well, as I was preparing for this program tonight, I read that statement that, and stated that many people believe poetry is dying. I knew that was wrong. I knew it was wrong. There's no way that could be true. No way. No way. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, I. Uh Auden used to say, "Poetry makes nothing happen. it exists in the valley of its saying, a way of happening, a mouth i mean it's a great line in a poem, but it doesn't i didn't believe it. you know I've always yes. railed against yes. that mm-hmm. I think it's uh, exactly the opposite it it makes something happen. it gives me hope you know mm-hmm. i mean that word mm-hmm. hope is very powerful, you know um mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and and it and poetry enables that hope in me as a writer, in the poet, in the re- when I read a poem. So ultimately, it's a, a releaser of endorphins. It's a serotonin going to the brain. It's walking, literally, the mind. You know, as you walk your body, yes. you get fitter. You walk your mind reading the poem or writing the poem. So reading is as important as writing. Reading the writing inspires the writing. Um, writing inspires the reading. You know, there's a, it's, just a, it's, it's a cycle.
0: And, All uh, right. Well, please, <laughs> you're incredible. Please share some more from the book. <laughs> we well, can talk you. On. Thank you. Please so. <laughs> Let
1: some <laughs> more. Let, let, let me see. I'll, I'll, I'll read a few from um, a section uh, called Arabian Nights, and so K-N-I-G-H-T and 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 um, Uh, Scottish mornings at the time and I was translating his poems they were unpublished they were just in his in his manuscript Um, uh, the first one is called La Cena. I'll read the the Spanish in one or two cases and then otherwise just the English but um, just to give you an idea of the Spanish this this one's called La Cena or Supper Incendiados, los azules en constante movimiento chocan, pactan y se licuan. Todavía un sol naranja ilumina la terraza. El albero del camino, las copas de los cipreses, la ciudad en la ondenada blanca marea de luces que crece mientras la noche hace más espeso el bosque. Alrededor de la mesa los amigos cenan a Asistan a doble fiesta, la que ocurre allá en la bóveda, celeste y coreografía en la que el día se fuga y la que el diálogo crea. Entre el silencio de dos palabras un grillo canta. Emanación de una estrella que a lo lejos centellea Otra luz brilla en los ojos de los que oyen y contemplan. Eco del eco del eco. La el canto y la llama. Escribe solo, solo el poema. Supper. <clears throat> the blues on fire, moving constantly, crash, agree, and liquefy. An orange sun still lights the terrace, the clay of the road, the cypress cups, the city below in a hollow valley, tide of lights that grows while the night thickens the wood. Around the table friends eat and talk, Attend a double feast, one that occurs up there in the firmament, celestial choreography in which the day flees and which dialogue creates. In the silence between two words, a cricket sings, the emanation of a star sparkles far away. Another light shines in the eyes of those who hear and contemplate, echo of the echo of an echo. Star, song, and flame. Only the poem writes itself. There are ideas, you see, in this poem. And Mm -hmm. and he manifests them through these images of looking out at the the night sky. Arabian night. Just read the English here. Mountains, olive trees, vegetable fields in the valley the high ochre walls of the royal palace in the old city, the night breeze, the muezzin's voice far away, monotonous, the usual cafe and its parishioners, sitting on the terrace of the garden of El-Habul in Meknes, a dark youth wearing a white jellaba after a long while, after drinking the mint tea he had ordered, approached you to learn from where you came. And while he told you the history of that place, He peeled a ripe fig. With a knife he drew suddenly. The reflection of the street lamp on the blade touched your face. Three drops of milk spilled on his fingers. When he noticed your gaze, his pupils dilated like a tiger's. Then he divided the fig. A flowering filled with seeds that seemed to burn in the vault of the night. And immediately he put one half in your mouth and the other with an agile flick in his own what pleasure in tasting the fruit? What vertigo on the edge of the hour? Blood thickened, the senses opened up to another time. Suddenly you felt a slipper touch your foot, and without a word you went with him through the streets of the old city. Mm. Now um in the in the Ritz at Meknes. One glance was enough the silence between two sentences, the tenuous grace of your hand when you asked for the key in the heat of the siesta, so that the young concierge, with a glance like a gazelle's, went behind you to your room, with his olive-toned muscles, with their fragrance of orange blossoms, and to kiss his ample lips, flavoured with cardamom, as the fans spun round, refreshing the intertwined bodies, desiring each other in their delirium, The way the desert desires water. What pleasure in the instant when bodies forget reality and let it go. Where? Where? The city woke up in the fullness of the hour. Cars, motorcycles, the radio's music, mysterious Arabic brought you back to the world. The concierge said goodbye in a hurry and left the room. You fell asleep and woke in another dream when the muezzin began to pray into his microphone. From the balcony, the palace shone resplendent in the sonorous night full of stars.
0: Echo. Yes. Adolfo Castell, in his article, Manuel Villarcia, Something Very Luminous Lost, made the following statement. He said, in terms of Man- Manuel's work, even the riskiest moments of the immersion of the poetic in amorous communion, Manuel Ullasia is capable of being both measured and extreme. What do you think of that? Is that true, based on what your knowledge of him?
1: Measured and extreme. I I think. Yes. Um, I, who who wrote that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the name. I, I just... Uh, Adolfo Castano. The
0: oh, Adolfo, the
1: Adolfo yes, 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 yes.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I
1: I, I, know, I know him. He's a a mexican critic and writer uh yes yes a good good observation um measured and extreme measured in the sense that he writes he measures his verses you know they're free okay. verse but with a lot of attention to rhyme and and off rhymes and 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 their the musical uh elements you know of 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 the prosody at the same time He's writing about wild experiences, you know um mm-hmm. and and um he's writing freely about them, but in, in measured verse, yes, yes, I mean, just the, the poem I just read about the the affair, you know with the concierge, the way he put it, but it's it he he seems so right about it in a way that to me is universal and sort of uh, classical uh, like sculptured in stone, you know. Like a, like yes. when Michelangelo does his David or something, but mm-hmm. there's a beauty, a kind of classical beauty to the encounter, the way he describes it. Manuel does
0: that yes, removes nice.
1: any kind of morality or or uh, any sort of um, questioning or one just simply appreciates the the elegance of the of mm. the expression and the beauty of the scene. Um the 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 opening uh I don't know, that's why when I think of Manuel's poetry I do think I go back to the Greeks and I go back to uh who were quite uh um, famous for their for their loving among you know uh, mm. yes uh, among themselves, and then, and I go back to kavafi who, who if any of the listeners have not read, I recommend Kavafi very strongly to everyone who was a sort of a father figure for erotic poetry yeah. and uh, Cavafy lived he was a Greek poet who lived in Alexandria at the turn mm-hmm. of the beginning of the nineteen hundreds or beginning early part of the twentieth century, so and then you think of Auden. I mean, uh, well, uh, there's a, a, a long tradition of, of gay poetry going way back. Mm-hmm. And, and and Manuel, I don't want to classify him as as this kind of poet or that. I would call him. Yes. so I would say he's a gay poet, but he's a he's a he's a universal poet in a sense. He he writes about love. Um, I mean, one can. It's not. Uh, it's 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 not a a limited love he's writing about he's writing about an experience mm-hmm. that we in all of us share whatever our orientation wherever our, our wishes, we can all appreciate that embrace of the other, yes. that embrace the Muazin's call, the mysterious call in that arabian context and and the and the and the desire for el- eliminating that essential solitude one feels at times you know and uh finding it through communion communion with another and um Manuel is a great poet of love It's also i think uh in an interesting way you asked earlier about ideology i yes I, I wonder if 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 one reads manuel um i wouldn't call him you know a political poet in the sense that one would use that term to describe perhaps uh, mm-hmm. allen ginsberg's poetry or was also a gay poet, but when Allen Ginsberg writes about erotic love, it's a much cruder language that he uses, you know, than yes, Manuel does. Manuel is a much well, more artful poet in that sense, a delicate poet. Not that well, I'm not saying that one is better
0: than the other, but they're they're
1: a different kind of diction, you know, a choice of words expressions.
0: Here's a question for you. Here's a question for you, my friend. Do you feel that a poem tells you what it wants to be? Does a poem tell you what it wants to be? Or do you tell it? Does a poem, what it poem
1: tell you what it wants to be? <clears throat> for me, a poem is a is an invitation's dream, an invitation to explore, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and And it doesn't tell you directly what it wants to be. It's for you to find out and to make it what you want it to be. The mm-hmm. poem is ultimately an, an invitation to explore something in your own, in a dilemma in your own mind as a reader, to complete, uh, to answer a question that you might have in your mind. But mm-hmm. the poem only belongs, belongs to you, the reader. You are the ultimate eater of the poem, you know? And what happens inside when you eat that poem inside of your body, inside of your the body of your mind, is yours. And so there is no right or wrong. That's the first fallacy about reading poems, you know, that there is a right answer and there's a wrong answer. There is only there are only answers upon answer within answers, within answers. It's a labyrinth. The poem is a labyrinth and you, the reader, are invited to find a way out of the labyrinth, out of the maze. And the poem mm-hmm. offers you some clues and images to interpret. And if you interpret them and you feel good about your interpretation, maybe those interpretations are windows to which you can climb out of the poem into the world and feel richer for having read that poem, emboldened for having read that poem, um, somehow sanctified for having read that poem, you know? So the images of the poem are openings on evolution and completion, but they are not telling you where to go. They're telling Mm -hmm. you, here, look, look at me, interpret me, and you will find truth, your truth. Mm -hmm. But the truth is not written directly into the poem. You have to gaze like you you gaze at the Mona Lisa and you see those eyes following you wherever you are you know looking at her yes right um, yes
0: That's so the so poem true.
1: looks back at you the poem looks back at you but you you can't find it's not uh you know two plus two equals four it's not there's not some kind of concrete answer in the poem but it's yeah. a wonderful art because it it's it engages you just like painting engages yes. you, just like music engages you, it transports you. It uh, you need it, I think, to live fully in this world. I mean, if you yes. didn't have poems, or you didn't have music, or you didn't have painting, uh, for example, just just dance. I mean, all the arts are are essential um, invitations to to thinking, to feeling, and to catharsis too, because. We have we all live with, with challenges in our lives and uh, art has a way of enabling us to um find release, you know, and overcome mm-hmm. maybe it's just a distraction for a couple of hours that you spend reading or writing a poem. But I think it's something else. It's a way of living. It's a way of living that is very positive because it it just it, it just keeps picking you up, you know. No matter how challenging the day is, no matter how many difficulties you have to face, and everybody has to face mortality and, and passing and, and, and chaos sometimes, but the poem is a staff that you could rely on and it helps you stand up and walk forward. You know, that's my feeling about it.
0: Very nice. As <laughs> I shared, Indran, when well, I listen to you talk, share your thoughts and philosophies forward your life
1: as I said I always learn something new and that's very kind of you to say I I'm you know there's nothing quite it's a two-person conversation right if I yes. if, you, if you ask the question that brings out the the reflection so I'm just grateful to have that conversation and they've had it uh, with different books with you, and this one in particular is yes. a conversation um, that I I treasure because honestly, I I I don't know where I'd be without having started this adventure. You know, twenty in 20, more than twenty years ago when I started to translate uh, these poems, and um, I've become a poet on in various languages, and in and in Spanish, I've written and published about eight different books. And but the first of those books I wrote and Manuel was there uh guiding mm-hmm. me in those, and those and and so his poems uh available now in this translation is a very special thing for me. And I hope people who listen will will look for the book because honestly it's um is a very gifted poet. He you know, he was also very close to Octavio Paz and, and people respected yes. his work when he was writing. But you know, um, time is cruel and uh, when you pass and uh, you know others move on and so it's a nice um, thing to bring this poetry back into the conversation you know the world conversation <laughs> i i hope the book travels far it just came to mexico i i went to mexico literally last week and uh, and so some the book uh i carried the book to manuel sister Isabel, and, and also copies for his mother and, uh, uh, and a brother for there, and others who uh, I met uh, in Mexico with the poetry festival I attended uh, are now aware of, of Manuel's work, so I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that poems travel across borders. Yeah. Yes.
0: You know, this, this article by Adolfo Chastignon
1: is <laughs> yes. in
0: Memorial. So I think about your work as well, that people really, as you just said, they cared about this man, what he stood for, what he believed in. And that is so powerful. And, you know, I should say. Yes, please. Go ahead. I was just thinking that expression, give me my flowers while I live, you know, and how sometimes we don't often get an opportunity to do that, just due to the nature of life, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Give me origami. my flowers while I live. Yeah.
0: Yes. Origami. Yes. Origami. Give me my origami yes. while I live. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my origami while I live. Please share some <laughs> more of your work, my friend. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Please share some I more will of your work. Say, I,
1: I will say that, you know, Manuel was, uh, thank you, was a um, the president of the Pen Club of Mexico in the last oh, really? months of his life. And, you know, oh, wow. he was... Hard at work writing letters to to writers in, uh, imprisoned uh, unjustly in different countries, and trying to raise awareness of their of their fate. And so he was. That was a political work that he was doing as well. Uh, no, he was. Uh, you know, Manuel was the grandson of Concha Mendez and Manolo Altugiri, who were both poets of the generation of 27 in Spain. They were both involved in the Spanish Civil War on the Republican side. And and they became exiles from Spain after that war with Franco and fascism taking over the country. And they went into Cuba, and then they came to Mexico. And then uh, Manuel's mother, you know, was born in Mexico, or mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if she was born in Mexico, came to Mexico as a baby, and then Manuel was born, and so he he carries a tradition in his blood of going back to those poor Spanish poets of the of the uh, Spanish Civil War, and you know that's um, that was a that was the right war, you know everyone wanted, who wanted to engage to fight the fascism, and so many tragedies of that war, including the murder of Federico Garcia Lorca. So. Um, uh, so you read poets, you read also history in a sense. Um yes, I'll read a couple sure. of more poems, then. Yes. I would uh, I would love to do that. Uh, let me let me think um, which ones. Um, here's one um, again from Manuel's travels in in the Arabian countries. Um, in this case, in Tangier in uh, in Morocco. En un hadin de Tangier a media noche. Cuando la bóveda estaba cuajada de estrellas y los cometas, uno tras otro, caían sobre el mar, entraste en el jardín secreto para hallar en el otro cielo. Cien tortugas llevaban sobre el caparazón una veladora encendida. Al caminar formaban constelaciones imprevistas, chitilantes y luminosas rimas, otra escritura for Alazar creator Party in a Tangier's garden. At midnight, when the firmament was filled with stars, and comets one after another were falling over the sea, you enter the secret garden to find within it another sky. One hundred tortoises were carrying lit candles on their shells. Walking they formed unforeseen constellations curring in luminous rhymes. Another writing by chance. Viento Bate el viento los cristales, las murallas, los tejados. En desvarío se filtra por rendijas y escaleras. Es percusión de timbales en la torre y en el foso. Aliento grave de tubas en el sendero que baja al río. El vido agudo en todas las chimeneas Movimiento encadenado en las copas de los árboles. Rápida fuga de nubes en el cielo azul intenso. Pausa, eco, silencio. En el castillo no hay nadie. El viento sopla por todas partes incesantemente. Algo en mí también se agita. Tal vez seas tú que llegas de repente muy lejos. With The wind beats the windows, the walls, the roofs. Delirious, it filters through cracks and stairways. It is the percussion of timpani in the tower and in the moat. The heavy breath of tubers on the path that drops to the river. Sharp whistling in all the chimneys. Linked movement in the treetops. Rapid flight of clouds in the intense blue sky. A pause, an echo, silence. There is no one in the castle. The wind is blowing incessantly everywhere. Something in me also stirs. Perhaps it's you who arrive suddenly from far away.
0: Um, Perhaps
1: I'll read one more. Um, Yes, please. vez, Jack. Again Jack. In a hotel bar, after many years of knowing nothing of that friend, his name came up in conversation, and when you asked about him, the expression in the eyes of the stranger with whom you were talking made you realize that he had died. Then you were left to your thoughts, silent, sad. I don't know how long, remembering, while people continued to chat, as naked bodies striped like a tiger's by the afternoon sun filtered through the blinds his thirsty, intense blue eyes that drank water from the spring of your eyes, his smooth, sculptured muscles which upon the desiring and desired touch of your hands became fire, the synesthesia of the senses as you forgot yourself and were forgotten in what other time in that bedroom where every afternoon desire created so much passion that it steamed the windows. So, I trust that Manuel Mm -hmm. steamed your windows. (laughs) (laughs) Does
0: creating poetry, my friend, make you feel pain? Why not? If not, you know it.
1: It it, it, rather than creates pain, it overcomes pain. You know,
0: the pain is there,
1: and Mm-hmm. I find a way to write from that pain or in writing from that pain I I find consolation a kind of release of that pain. The pain is a vise around your neck and the, the way to get out of it is by sort of uh, rather than trying to pull it off your neck uh, squeeze it out with it in lines you know,
0: uh, ooze
1: mm-hmm. it out somehow it's like Uh, I'll I'll tell you, though, it's not always going to be possible in one language. I I was in quite a lot of emotional pain in English in Mexico City a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. I couldn't write in English because the words would have come out as a scream, uh, I think. But I was able to write in Spanish. There was a kind of a filter that took place, a distancing trying to write in the other language, in this case in Spanish, that enabled me to to write about from those emotions, those painful emotions, not necessarily writing about them, but from them, stories in another language, in Spanish. So if you have a second language, try that technique. If you can't write in one, write this in the other. But, uh, But I don't think really that poetry has ever caused me pain. There have been moments when I've been so sad and overcome by some difficult feeling that um, I wondered whether I could even write. But then eventually, mm-hmm. uh, I, I God uh, comes to the rescue or the muse comes to the rescue. I remember when the tsunami hit the Asian coastlines, and, yes. and in Sri Lanka, you know, about thirty-five thousand people were wiped away, washed away, mm-hmm. on Boxing Day, two thousand and four, December twenty-sixth. And at the time, my brother, elder brother, was in the island visiting and his family, and and I was in here in this house in Rockville, and my father had just passed away earlier. The, the previous year and we were gathered at home at the first Christmas uh, that I could remember without my father mm-hmm. then this news comes in from the radio we were listening to the radio of all things about this enormous wave and this thousands of people disappeared from the coastline of Sri Lanka and the coastline itself had been being changed Now, even more people away in Indonesia, and many countries were affected by this terrible tsunami. And I couldn't believe it. Here was an island that had been wracked with civil war, uncivil war, I call it, in one of my books. And now the tsunami on top, ecological disaster on top of political disaster, I couldn't, I couldn't, and I I just couldn't get my head around it. My heart was heavy, and and for about three days, I wondered, you know, can you write about this? Can I write about this? Mm-hmm. You know, someone was it Adorno who said, you know, about writing after the Holocaust? How, how can you write after the Holocaust? Well, three days, four days go by. My younger brother David happens to write a poem about this. And that got me going. You know, naturally, sibling rivalry always is helpful. <laughs> but beyond oh, yeah. that, I... I, I I was able to, to write about this tragedy, this enormous tragedy, and I kept writing and writing, and I wrote. A, I won ended up thinking I could write a hundred poems about. Different aspects of the tsunami. I ended up writing fifty-six poems, and I divided it into four sections. and And the book is called "The Splintered Face: Tsunami Poems," and it's a book I'm very, very proud of. And and I, yes. you know, raised some money from the book to donate to victims. And it was a uh, so even in the deepest tragedy, nine eleven happens. Two weeks later, I managed to write a poem about that. So whatever the impetus, even in the the, the deepest loss, my father dying, and I write. write so, you know, you you have to accept that poetry is your savior. <laughs> so why don't yes, you yes. take it along well, here's with you?
0: Here's a question for you, my friend. Something I've always wanted to know. You're the only translator that I know. How? Uh-huh. Tell me about translation. How did that come about? I've always wanted to ask you that.
1: Well, you know, there's an old line about translation that it's a Mm -hmm. kind of traitor. You know, you're a traitor to the original (laughs) language and the poetry can't be translated. That's the first thing you have to get rid of, you know. Poetry can be Mm -hmm. translated. Uh, It (laughs) needs to be translated. You know, not everybody speaks all all the languages. And, you know, the translator's role is very, very helpful to bringing uh, the poetry, uh, let's say, of one language into the poetry of another but the translation is not just taking it from one language and putting it into the other. It's rewriting the poem in the new language. It's, okay. it's feeling the poem. Even though you may not have written the original poem, you try, like an actor, like a method actor or something, you try to find in yourself the emotions were that drove, that informed the, the writer of the original poem, you know? And and, and mm-hmm. when you I was lucky with Manuel because when I was doing the when I was translating the poems, I could ask him, Well, you know, does this make have I have I have I have I captured the sensations that you wanted to express when you and I could ask him and get his opinion. That was helpful. But and you don't always have that opportunity. You're translating a poet who might have died or or, or somebody who lives far away and you don't have But translation even Meruda translated, you know, Borges translated Whitman uh, leaves of grass into Spanish. I mean, we learn from translation about how different voices are and how they speak. And, and they, it's it's an incredible nutrition, nutritious thing to translate because the other voice, for example, if I'm tra- like Borges, when he translates Whitman in into leaves of grass into Spanish, Inevitably, the voices of Whitman, the rhythms of Whitman, the images of Whitman become part of the of Borges too, you know. And mm-hmm. out in Borges, disguised in some other way, or but you can't deny it's it's a growth, you know. It's a it's a hybrid plant that that, is, that grows and it's sturdier because it's a hybrid. It's it's stronger mm-hmm. because it's a hybrid, because. You have opened oh, yourself yes
0: up to the influence of the then other? Let me ask you this. Go ahead. Here we go. Now, my questions are not designed to stump you because <laughs> there's no way I could. No, no. It's okay. no. Even, even if I easy. wanted to, there's no way I could. <laughs> no, no. But as you can tell, I tried to research for this particular <laughs> podcast because I knew who I'd be, <laughs> be interviewing. Here's the question that I found. Here's the question says, what do you think of poetry sandwiched between the original and the translation?
1: Now that's a question that stops me. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> of poetry? That do just for you. Do
0: you think I, poetry, <laughs> <laughs> no you how poetry? You <laughs> sandwiched no how between how the original denied, and the translation? yes. Poetry is
1: sandwiched between the original and the translation. What do you think of poetry? Well, you know, a sandwich actually (laughs) contains the material inside of it, right? So the poetry is the the bread.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I
1: I, I don't think of poetry as sandwiched between the original and the translation, you know. Okay. Okay. I think poetry is in the original and it's in the translation. There is. Mm. Uh, you just have to be willing to accept that your beautiful poem, in whatever language it's written in, can live another life, uh, be renewed and refreshed, and live quite happily in another language. And if you just All accept right. that, right. then you know I've got a book here by Emily Dickinson, and mm-hmm. it's in uh, bilingual. It's in French and English. So I'm enjoying reading. Emily Dickinson translated into French. Why? Because I learn French words from it. I learn. I hear a different kind of music, or I hear Emily Dickinson's music transposed into the French language's music. I don't know. I I, I think it's. I think uh, you don't lose something in translation. You gain something in translation. So the usual idea is it's lost in translation. You know as a book by Eva Hoffman called Lost in Translation, which was a very important book for me for a while. Uh, but Lost in Translation, she was talking about the migrant, you know, who moves from one country to another and what is lost in that, in that movement. Uh, I think of it rather as what is gained, you know. And um, mm-hmm. inevitably, lost is part of life. You You can't... You know cells are lost every day, and so on. i mean uh, you might lose a handkerchief you know you, you can't go on <laughs> keeping everything you might lose a girlfriend, you
0: might lose oh you yeah. know he has <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well I was lost as well, so i it's a sad thing when you when you recognize it, but it it's wisdom when you recognize it and make a poem from it okay that's what mm. i that's what I think. That's what I think. Ranking poems is a wise, wise restoration to the planet of the love that is gone. Okay, and you make it again, you renew it by writing the poem. So, um, so write poems and love again. Then you'll be refreshed enough and strong enough to go out and love again. You know, so, because you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. You can't live in a in a cell, you know, you have to, that's you have, true. you're part of society. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, here's a proverb not, in front of me. Is, Just when the caterpillar thought the world was over, it became a butterfly. So <laughs> what you're saying, <laughs> that's how, how you're going to go for No, that's be. With you, the glass is yeah. always full always full <laughs> never have <a> full <laughs> well it's full you tonight. can always do a positive tonight.
1: reframe. <laughs> i appreciate that i it's full tonight i'm in a good place i'm feeling good mm-hmm. this is a lovely yeah. conversation i mm-hmm. can't say that mm-hmm. you know it'll always be uh full but but i think it, it if you as long as you keep enough water in the bottom of the glass you can uh <laughs> you never never leave it never let it run empty you know <laughs> Never let him turn him.
0: That's all. well, what I'd like you to do is to share one last set of poems first one last All one, right. Please.
1: okay um let me let me go to um again from the first part of the book the river and the stones i'll read um let me see I'll read the first one in the steam bath with a fixed stare, nose and mouth, and chiseled stone, cool marble statues, erected on pedestals of indifference, submerged in an impalpable dream, an aquarium of wandering nervous fish, the image of the other. And in the steam on the mirror, he finds his own image, perplexed, absorbed, diffused. And then... Um, let me read also this uh, somewhat longer poem, which uh, I translated just at the very end of, just before the book went to press, which I hadn't translated. The uh, so Manuel never saw this particular translation. It's called, the original poem is La Piedra en el Fondo, The Stone in the Depth. And um, I'll read that and then you can see The Stone in the Depth as my father's breathing fades away slowly. Probes, needles, oxygen mask, between systole and diastole, on the stage of memory, one after the other, lived transparencies. The trip to school at eight in the morning with its riddles about the Yellow River, the gardens of Mesopotamia, the Chinese Wall and Newton's Apple, and later at recess in the cool shade of tall ash trees Speaking with other children, the image of my father transformed into the hero of an adventure tale. And on the way home, the family reunited, my father recounts the thousand and one inventions of his laboratory, essences of rose, musk, and lavender, and the adventures of his child mother with trains of the revolution from Campeche to Mexico, cockfights her father loves so much, walks through mountains and long riverbanks, the forgotten image of his grandfather who painted fans in Valencia, his brief childhood in an immense garden, stories of immigrants from almost a century ago who left behind Gothic Tower, Olive Grove, and cattle, and who never returned. At the end of the day, i muse about how my parents get ready to go to a party, and after the goodnight kiss engrossed in the movie on black and white television I imagine that this is life and that my parents dance on a moonlit terrace to a waltz by Augustine Lara and my father is the screen's leading man the pirate of a naval battle Tarzan in the Amazon jungle and that someday I too will be an adult and smell violets on the neck of a girl and embody my fate as it was explained to me while my father's breath fades away slowly his pulse slower and slower between systole and diastole time dilates like concentric circles formed when a stone is thrown into the mirror of water. Each instant is an hour and every hour of life. Brief time that passes those sun-filled days in the country rusty walls of the house stable corral reservoir of the trough with its clouds reflected in transit where one day my father taught me to measure the depths of the waters by the time it takes for the thrown stone to reach the bottom, and the woman who shells ears of corn as if shelling seeds of time. In what waters do we fall when we leave if there is no time? What is the depth of the sky? Where do the lived hours germinate? And already collected at dusk in a dimly lit room amid sonorous vapors of burning plates on white sheets, my father told me that in the next room his father had died. First image of finite time, falling stone, immense measure that we do not know, the sharp profile of his face, white sheet the shrouded his father, secret glance of the two ironers, hand and watch that take the pulse. My father sits up and asks, what time is it? And without listening, he says, tomorrow. At the same time, his body, shivering with cold, begins to give birth to another body, invisible butterfly with white wings, waiting for the exact time to let herself go in marriage with nothingness. While my father's breath is extinguished, anguish is reborn, a sharp edged stone in the throat, those meals in my younger years, where you could only hear scraping of cutlery and porcelain elusive glances that hid the blush that produces the passion of flesh in my secret games in the bedroom, while the hurtful light Coming through the window illuminated the clouds of the jug, empty plates and crumbs, for in my lascivious daydreams my singular desire had been revealed. No longer would I be the image of the hero dancing with a girl on the screen, nor the maker of factories, nor the discreet man society applauds, nor prey to virginities on the prowl, nor father who perpetuates and later the disputes. Freedom does not make men happy, says my mother makes them only men. My father is silent. Fragile armor is indifference. My father lives in the ideogram of his world, builds other dreams without thinking of the finiteness of time, in the stone and its fall, in the darkened alcove, tomorrow, tomorrow, always tomorrow, and the house grows while my mother grows gray hair, and my sister discovers her budding breasts in the mirror, and my grandmother becomes a child again, Tomorrow. Tomorrow, always tomorrow, while my father's breathing fades away slowly, I want to tell him that all I ever wanted was to live the truth of my true love. But he no longer hears anything, no longer says anything. Silence has taken over his body, my mother's body, the circle formed around his bed, the darkened room, the clear mirror of water, where the stone continues to fall in the fragile gravity of the instant while my father's breathing dies away. The transparency of the window reminds me that outside the world exists. I contemplate the illuminated city, the cars that circulate, the teenager who meets his beloved on the corner, the cyclist passing by, the athlete running in the meadow. Absorbed in the fragility of time, I contemplate the world, the window again, the family reunited. And I think that my father no longer speaks, no longer sees, no longer hears, that his dead senses begin to perceive the theater of the world through us, that the only memory of his life were the fragments of our memory, immersed puzzle from which pieces are missing. What will he think of as he abandons himself in my mother's skin, the news reels of the second war, of the first communion and the first, and the commandments of tumors that spread through the body. My father, between stammering, says he has a stone in his neck that his stone will not fall, that he will not fall with it, that he will fall with it. Where to? Where? As my father's breath goes out, it seems that he will begin to forget everything. Hemotherapies and executioners, waiting rooms and operating rooms, portrait of his grandmother and the young legs of the girls, the stone of Oaxaca and the song of the canary, the red rattle and the first cry, or perhaps in his oblivion the last dream the time devours. He travels along the road to look for his father, but the road is already another road, and the house another house. His life now fits in an instant. All parts are reconciled. A single sun burns in his conscience. Icy fire that consumes the world. In the mirror of water, the last wave is drawn. The stone in its fall reached the bottom. Thank you so much, Michael.
0: That was another
1: longer (laughs) poem.
0: Oh, beautiful. You know, I was thinking an incredible man translating the work of another incredible man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So glad glad to have this this come. What was his disposition? Was he a happy man? A melancholy man? What kind of was
1: his he was a very How generous.
0: Was he? he was a very he was a very generous man,
1: very generous. He would always come in his car and he would pick me up and take me to places that uh, you know. I, I he he was very proud of the Mexico and he wanted me to see it, the city that he mm-hmm. knew, the Mexico City that he knew, and he showed me mm-hmm. um, this 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 beautiful city and this beautiful culture he talked to me i remember walking with him on francisco sosa where he lived and he pointed out the chapel that you find on that street where la malinche used to go and pray la malinche oh, was right. the woman who yeah who who was the consort of cortez and you know the when Cortes and the spanish took over the country and very mm-hmm. interesting to hear that history to see that history and, actually see the chapel where uh, Malinche used to pray after. So, you know, and Manuel was my teacher in in that sense and and my guide. But at the same time, he was, yes, he was a very generous man. He used to have wonderful parties. And and we also invited him home. And we, uh, uh, I remember we had a party where we had asked everyone to wear hats. And so everybody woke, (laughs) Manuel came in in a glorious uh, feathered hat for the, for the occasion. So we had parties, we had lots of fun. He was melancholic, he was melancholic, he, he was, you know, I think poets tend to be melancholic, you know, uh, we have to find our way to deal with that melancholy. Different poets have different methods. In my case, it's it's writing poetry, you know? Yes. Uh, and writing poetry dispels the melancholy. And in the case of Manuel, I think uh that helps and that helped and mm-hmm. also his his work with pen and so on. But
0: Manuel had his
1: moments of, of dark moments but he, mm-hmm. he pulled through and uh, he was in a good place when I when I last yes. saw him and Yes. And uh and he lives in these poems in a in, in very yes. much uh,
0: um, so yes he does. I yeah, could, really I could, I could feel I could feel his presence just listening to you. You know? <laughs> yeah. So to me it's a job you know, well done, my friend. Job well done. Thank you very much. Job thank well you. done. and as we close, where does this particular book fit into your career as a writer?
1: What does this particular interview say Say the last part? I couldn't know.
0: Where does this book
1: fit into your career as a writer? What's next? Oh, for you? Where sorry, do you go? Book? Yes. Yeah. Where do I go next? Yeah. Well, I think uh, further into translation. I I'm uh, I'm working on a few different translation projects of different poets into bringing them into English. And so I I've taken on a bit too much uh, more than I can chew, but I'm I'm trying to chew <laughs> different. <laughs> so I'm working on a book from. <laughs> A Swiss poet uh, bringing his French poems into English, and, and a Mexican poet, another Mexican poet, uh, into English, and a Chilean poet, uh, poems into English, and so I've got these different projects that, I, that I've started, and and then I think uh, at the magazine that I edit uh, with Sarah and uh, Renee Garrity, um it is called uh, the Beltway Poetry Quarterly. We make a point of publishing translations as well as reviews, and so mm-hmm. we like to publish the original language with the translated language so sometimes i I translate for the magazine to uh, oh, wow. you know individual poems so translation is a big part of where I'm going I'm also going to go into uh i' I've, I've got a lot of poems that I need to organize that i that i in english and uh, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to keep up in French and Spanish, especially and in English. So Creole, I have a book that's scheduled to come out uh, from uh, Mad Hat Press. It, it's, a, but I'm not quite sure what what the timeline will be for it. But it's a poems I wrote in Creole, and then translated myself into English. So that's a project that's in the future. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm hoping a book in Spanish or in Portuguese (laughs) soon.
0: (laughs) when (laughs) when will you sleep? When will you you sleep? (laughs) I'm going to sleep more often
1: because, uh, because, you know, without sleep, you know, (laughs) all of this will will come fresh into all of So I'm going to
0: sleep more often and every day and every day. All right. Well not look, to worry. I'm gonna ask you this one last question, then you can go. we can go. You won't believe. This is one that i want right. wanted to know. It says what do you think a literary journal's role and task should be in a changing world? In this changing world. In five five, well, five the words lit- or less. <laughs> <laughs> well the world is the way the world is question all of this. the
1: night <laughs> <laughs> Your questions are sir or something else. They're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the My they are, they are, to Michael. Drink. They really are <laughs> <laughs> They really are. I mean you don't have that doctor before you before your name for nothing, you know. But, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, but well, I I had to be on my A game with you. It's... <laughs> all right. well, well, it's, it's all. the Doctor, it's all. Of literature, okay. the doctor of literature, you know. No, seriously, the, right. I, I mean, I do, I do think that the world is changing. We are changing. The literary magazine, you know, bec- many magazines have become digital magazines, right? Uh, yes. So, I mm-hmm. mean, change is the constant, right? Uh, but literary magazines have a role to play in in. Uh, in various ways. One, editors of the magazines are a kind of first stop uh, to honing the art. You know, poets write, they send the poems in, they get accepted or they get rejected. Hopefully they'll get some feedback and they'll be able to get a sense of, you know, that when the poem is accepted, it's somehow certified, you know, in the society. You know, Mm -hmm. the editors have a role to... A kind of vetting process right and they help the poem uh, have a certain kind of legitimacy in the in the society right so it's edited it's edit- accepted for the magazine it's published and then also um, no poet in is an island you know what i mean you need yeah. the editor uh, you need the editor to not just to accept or reject your poem but also sometimes to edit your poem or to comment on your poem or to give you a perspective on your poem that or poems that you may not have yourself and i -hmm. think that that's an important role for the literary magazine and um Mm -hmm. for example when we do an issue of beltway poetry quarterly often we have a theme um and so we can you know encourage poets to to go through their work and edit their work to to find the theme or the poem that that works with the theme of the issue, you know. But I, I think yes. the literary magazine is is. I know it's hard because I know from doing Beltway, sometimes we we are delayed. We're delayed with the current issue. It, it, it's hard to juggle everything that's going on in one's life and and meet deadlines. But but um, I think the world is, uh, is a richer place for the literary magazine. I I'll tell you a story mm. about my. Great uncle Mutu, uh, My father too was a poet. Guy Amatilaga. But my and through my dad, I met my great uncle in London. My great uncle used to come over from Eel every week to our home in London when we were kids. When I was a kid, he was the editor. He's a legend. I mean, he edited Poetry London. He founded the magazine and then he edited it during the war, during the Blitz. And there was no paper during that war, but he somehow yes. found the paper and he printed the magazine every month, I think it was. And, you know, he published Dylan Thomas there, He the young Dylan Thomas he published. He put Henry Moore uh, illustrations on the covers of the the original magazine. So he brought artists and and poets together in the time of war and got this magazine out. And I think that's a great contribution to... Mm-hmm. keeping culture alive during yes. times of the great stress. And here we are at the moment with wars going on today, you know, in Ukraine yes. and, and the invasion and other places. And so wherever poetry can be kept going in times of, in such times, I think it just reminds you how important it is. You know, so when the music dies, uh, the culture dies, you know, when the words are not written or not published or not shared, uh, there's a, it's a kind of a death. So we have to keep the words going and the magazine has its role. It could be a digital magazine now, it could be a, you know, I mean, and, you know, sometimes there are problems I and mean, we are human beings, you know, we have limited taste yes. sometimes. Some yes. editors, you know, should not be editors. You know, some magazines, I don't know why they don't, Open up their their doors to different voices, and you know we have our great tastes and our critiques, and you know I can. Every human being, every poet has his or her favorite magazines and so on. But I think the concept of the magazine, the literary magazine, is is a useful one for the preservation and 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 replenishment of our culture, so our literary culture, so all power to them and, and support them when you can and how yes. whichever way you
0: can. Very nice. Very nice. Well, Andrew, thank you again for being my guest. I, whenever you publish a book, please come back. Thank because you so I much, like Michael. You you've given me
1: <laughs> I'm so grateful to you and you've given me a lot of time. I hope that I our listeners will, will enjoy this and have enjoyed yes. this, and they're really grateful. Yes. Uh, Manuel Alassia is a great poet, and uh, please look for his book. It's published by Dialogos Books. It's easily available through the Dialogos Books website, or or if you're even interested in signed copies, you can contact me, uh, indranmx at gmail.com, I-N-D-R-A-N-M-X at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to get copies out to you. Thank you so All much. Thank you,
0: and everyone, as I share it with you <laughs> every week, <laughs> let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, you. All right, Thank you
1: so much, Michael. All the best. This is Poetry.
0: Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.